have made it. It's the last Sunday of 2020. I don't want to speak too much. It's the last Sunday of 2020. We made it that far. It is good to be here. You know, a few a few weeks ago, I went over to my parents' house. My dad had a tree that was leaning on his roof. And uh, insurance told him, homeowner's insurance told him, this tree needed to come down. They gave us a time frame to get this thing down. My dad told me to come over. It shouldn't take that long, and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, well, little did I know how big this tree was. And how ill-equipped I was to get this tree down. We had a particular situation where the tree is leaning on the house like this. Uh, the, it, the tree can't fall this way because the, uh, the neighbor's fence is there, also their travel trailer, and also their yippy little dogs, too. Uh, it can't fall this way because there's a deck. Uh, it, it can fall backwards. Because there's nothing there, it could fall backwards, that's what we wanted it to do, or it could lay gently down on the roof, and then we could take care of it from there. That was the plan, and my brother and I thought and thought and considered everything except calling someone else to do it, uh, and we came up with a plan. We tied some ropes to the top of the tree, and we were going to pull with all of our might as my dad cut the bottom out of the tree. And either it would fall on us, which would be ideal, or it would lay gently down on top of the roof. It's a flawless plan. It's a good plan. And so my dad begins to cut, and I'm pulling on this tree with all of my might. My brother is pulling on the tree with some of his might. Uh, And so we're pulling. It's a good plan. My dad cuts clear through, and the tree just falls straight through the neighbor's fence. Uh, I have a picture of the damage. Not too bad. Not too bad. Handled. Um, we, We pulled with all of our might, but it didn't really matter what we did. That tree was big, and it was going to go the way that it wanted to go. Now, I'm sure a competent lumberjack... Would have done it differently. My brother, before all of this happened, my brother was literally Googling how to lumberjack. <laughs> uh, I'm sure, uh, I know some of you are, um, are probably thinking you should have hired someone. Duh. But who, <laughs> who hires anyone? So the, but, but the point is, this tree was too, too big for us. We couldn't stop it from going the way that we, uh, we knew that it shouldn't go. We, we couldn't stop it. And that's the situation that we are in now in our society. It doesn't matter how much we pull. It doesn't matter how much we worry or buck against. There's only so much we can do to change the situation that we're now in. And there's nothing we can do to change the year that we have just walked through together. And just like that tree, we've got no idea how heavy the weight is that we are carrying around. I believe that many of us are carrying around a weight that we don't even know is there. 
For example, if you have some sort of leadership position, whether that's at work or somewhere else that you're leading, and you're making decisions that affect other people, that constant decision-making, it's a weight that you carry around. Or maybe you've experienced some kind of trauma that you've left undealt with, or, or maybe you've been wounded by the pandemic or something else has wounded you, you're carrying a, around a weight that you don't even know that you're carrying. And so when you lash out in anger or frustration, you don't even know why you're doing that. It's because this thing is weighing on you. You've got this burden. And as we look at the Bible together, one of the things that we're going to see Live and in color is that the Bible gives us permission to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to ask the question, why? It's okay to ask the question, how? As a matter of fact, there's a whole book of the Bible entitled, How? Now before you flip to your table of contents, uh, the English title of of that book of the Bible is Lamentations. We'll be in Lamentations today. You can begin to turn there. But the Hebrew title of Lamentations is the word how, like how much longer? Or how frustrating? Or how could you? Or how can this be? The circumstances that I'm walking through are unimaginable. Lamentations 3 is where we're going to camp today. Jeremiah's unimaginable circumstances are clear in the scripture. He lived in a tumultuous day. There were nations rising up and, and fighting with other nations. And there were alliances among nations and then backdoor betrayals. And there were threats. And even in Jeremiah's own nation, the nation of Judah, there, there are kings. And throughout Jeremiah's life, there are good kings and there are bad kings that are ruling over Judah. Some of, most of them were bad kings that didn't follow after the Lord. And their lack of following the Lord led to the destruction of Jerusalem. God promised, if you break the covenant with me, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem, I'm going to exile the people to a foreign land. That was the promise of God. And now during Jeremiah's day, God is bringing it to pass. And Babylon, the big bad nation, Babylon, surrounds the city of Jerusalem and puts them under siege for a year and a half. And Jeremiah witnesses all of this. After a, a year and a half, the Babylon breaches the walls. And they begin to kill people in the streets. And they exile some of them to a foreign land. And they burn down the temple. These are the circumstances of Jeremiah's life. And he wrote a prophecy, the book of Jeremiah. You can read all about that. But he also wrote the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations is not a prophecy. Lamentations is a book of laments. It is a book of grief. It is a book of sorrow. And every chapter has some sort of organization to it, except for the last chapter, chapter 5. There's not really any organization. It's like stream of consciousness. That's how grief works, right? There's no logic to it. It's not planned out. 
it just kind of comes out. And that's chapter 5 of Lamentations, a terrible ending. It's not a great ending. Jeremiah didn't think it through. Uh, the way chapter 5 ends is it's kind of like, Lord, save us unless you're still mad. <laughs> that's kind of the ending of the book. It's not, not, not a great punctuation mark on the end. But right in the middle of all this anger and grief and frustration and doubting, right in the middle of this book, you have chapter 3, the longest chapter in Lamentations. And right in the middle of all of this fear and doubting and anger and grief, right in the middle, what you find in chapter 3 is a thrill of hope. And that's the, the sermon series that we're wrapping up here this morning is a thrill of hope. I think that's what we need a little bit here. At the end of the year, we need hope. Even when the most unimaginable circumstances shake the ground beneath your feet, the covenant faithfulness of the Lord stands firm. And we're going to look at Lamentations chapter 3. As we examine the first 20 verses there very quickly, what we're going to find is Jeremiah's grief. Jeremiah expresses his grief. This grief was rooted in a reality that his entire world was being thrown upside down. Jerusalem was destroyed. I don't know if you've experienced a situation where you feel like your entire world has been turned upside down. If you've been living in our society this year, you certainly have felt that. But maybe unrelated to the year that we've had as a society... You felt a situation when your entire world was thrown upside down. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe you've lost something. Jeremiah understood this. He walked through that and he could barely stand as the most unimaginable circumstances shook the earth beneath his feet. Think about what it must have been like to endure a year and a half siege. Nobody in, nobody out, nothing to eat. Terrible and horrible and unimaginable things are taking place. And then the walls are breached. And he sees people he certainly knew, whether friends or family and neighbors, acquaintances. He saw people cut down in the streets. He saw them exiled to a foreign land. And he saw the temple. The temple was the place of God's glory burned to the ground. The temple was evidence that that God was with his people. And the Babylonians burned it down. The horror and the tragedy that Jeremiah saw, he was walking in. And on top of all of this, as Jeremiah observed the circumstances of his life, it seemed to him that God himself had turned against him. Not that God had forgotten him, but that God had become his enemy. That God was actively making things worse for him. Let me show you what Jeremiah says. Look with me, Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Jeremiah writes, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. 
He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. In these first few verses, Jeremiah laments that God has actively come against him. He uses metaphors to describe how he feels God has acted towards him. For example, in verses 1 through 3, he says that God is my enemy. And that Jeremiah says, I have suffered under the rod of his wrath. You know this word, rod. You know it. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, a shepherd has... A staff and a rod, a staff for protection or for leadership where he leads the sheep and a rod for protection. He uses it to beat away the wolves who would do harm to the sheep. But Jeremiah says here, he's not using his rod on the wolves. He's using his rod on me. His hand is turned against me. In verses seven through nine, God is a jailer. Jeremiah says that he has been walled in and he can't get loose. There is no way out. He would like to escape the situation that he's in, but every path has been turned crooked. There's no way out. He even says that when I pray, he's not listening. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever prayed to the Lord and you felt like, I don't even know that my prayers are are leaving the ceiling? In verses 12 through 13, Jeremiah portrays God as a hunter. Jeremiah says, I'm the target of his wrath and his anger. He is a hunter pursuing his prey. He drives arrows into my kidneys, he says. Jeremiah says, God is my enemy. And then in verses 14 through 18, he summarizes the way he feels about that. Look with me in the text. It says, I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. Wormwood is a bitter herb. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Jeremiah says in, in these verses here, he, he says, I can't take it anymore. I, I can't take it anymore. I have no hope. From the Lord, my situation is hopeless. I see no way out. There's nothing else that can be done. Have you ever felt that way? The situation you find yourself in, you view as hopeless. There's no way out. God is against me. And that's 
how Jeremiah feels, and that's what leads him to what appears to be despair. But this despair doesn't stay there. It, it kind of turns into humility. So look with me in verses 19 and 20. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Jeremiah's situation has led him to uh, to despair, but it has also it's led him to humility. He is humbled. He realizes that he is powerless to change his situation. He's grieving. He's complaining. He's broken. And more than abandoned, he feels that God is actively against him, that God is attacking him. And this is in the Bible. That doesn't sound like God. That doesn't sound like something that's okay to say. And yet here we are in Lamentations chapter 3. And what that communicates to me is that God is perfectly fine with human emotion. That we aren't required to be emotionless. We aren't required to be stoic. But rather we can express our emotion. If we're upset, we can tell God about it. If we're angry, let's tell God about it. Even if it's with Him. If we're sad, if we're grieving, if we're worried, take it to the Lord. It doesn't mean that we've perceived things correctly. And it doesn't mean that our accusations are correct. But rather that God is ready to receive our emotion. You know, it's a helpful thing to admit our weakness. It's a helpful thing to admit our brokenness. The human experience is fraught with sharp edges that cause Scrapes and bruises, it wounds and it scars, and sometimes it's a result of our own sin. Sometimes these wounds are a result of someone else's sin. They've done to us and have caused this. But still other times life happens. And we're wounded, and we're scarred, and we're broken. Brokenness happens, but brokenness is how the light gets in. We understand God's grace so much better when we admit our shortcomings and our failings and our weakness. So as I look at these verses in Lamentations, I want to notice something with you. Jeremiah presupposes a couple of things here. There are two assumptions that Jeremiah makes as he writes these words. The first thing that I see is that God is sovereign. Jeremiah presupposes the sovereignty of God. That To say that God is sovereign means to say that God can do whatever it is that God wants to do. That the things that are taking place to Jeremiah are not things that are passively happening to Jeremiah, but rather God is the one who is doing them. The text tells us this. You can see He has driven me. He has made my flesh waste away. He has besieged me. He has made me dwell in darkness. He has walled me in. God is the one doing these things. And what makes this difficult is that we're forced, we're forced to say one of two things. We either gotta say God is not sovereign. Or that God has done this. 
Those are the two options. We say God's not sovereign. We're saying God's not in charge. Maybe he's not in charge at all. Or maybe he's given his sovereignty to someone else and someone else is in charge. Either way, that that's a horrifying situation. If God's not behind the wheel, then who is? I'm not okay with that. So then I'm forced into the other camp. God has purposed this bad thing to happen to me. What do I do with that? How do I live in that tension? Well, that points us to another presupposition that Jeremiah has. And his assumption also is that God is good. And that's what makes this whole thing difficult and not sit right with us. That God is good. You know, it's easy for us to stand up here and say, well, God's on his throne and you say amen and we high five and you go home and you feel better. Right? And then life smacks you in the face. And then you lose something or you lose someone or something bad happens. What then? Is God still on his throne? And if he is, then has he allowed this bad thing to happen? Is God evil? Well, may it never be. That There's no way that's true. So the way I understand it is I kind of think of it this way. Is it possible to want more than one thing? I want my kids to feel safe. And I never want them to experience any pain in their lives. I don't want that for them. And yet I know that pain is instructive. And pain is corrective. And sometimes, pain is something that I inflict on my children for the purposes of discipline. And sometimes it's natural consequences. Things happen that inflict pain on them and, and, and they're taught this way. They're taught, don't do that again. Or, or rebelling against authority leads to pain and difficulty. Disobedience leads to pain. They learn this. They learn lessons through pain. And so do I want More than one thing, I don't want them to experience pain, but in some sense, maybe I do. So sometimes, God allows seemingly evil things to happen in our lives because He knows what's best for us. He knows that there's something better just around the bend, but we've got to hang on just a little bit longer. Romans 8 tells us that he works out all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know, Pastor Allen, three years ago or so, he preached a message out of Lamentations 3 just like this. And he did you a huge favor if you heard that sermon. He did you a favor. He said, you've got so much going on in your life, so many things that you're worried about and thinking about, and so many burdens that you're bearing. I want to do you a favor. I want to give you permission. You no longer have to define what good is. It's no longer up to you. God is the one who defines what good is. God's got it. He knows what's best. And though it's not always immediate, and though we don't always see it in this life, God's got it. He defines what good is. And so we can say with the psalmist about our year, about the circumstances that we're walking through, Psalm 119 verse 71 says, It was good for me to be afflicted so I could learn your statutes. Maybe 
the affliction of 2020 is good for us? Jeremiah knew that God was sovereign and he knew that God was good. How do I know that Jeremiah knew God was good? If you were paying attention, you would not have seen that in the first 20 verses. Let's look at the next couple. We've seen Jeremiah's grief. Now I want to point you to Jeremiah's hope that even in the most unimaginable circumstances, when it feels like the ground beneath your feet is starting to shake, the covenant faithfulness of the Lord stands firm. Look with me in verse 21. Jeremiah says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have Now wait a minute, in verse 18, he literally just said, I have no hope. And now, he's saying that that when he calls something to mind, now he has hope. What what has happened is he has changed his view. He's looking with a new perspective, a fresh perspective, not through the way things he thought the way they should be, or the way he wanted them to go, but rather he's looking through a revelation that he's received from the Lord, a new revelation that is actually a very ancient revelation. Because what Jeremiah is about to do in the next couple of verses is he's about to use some words that have been used to describe God throughout the ages. He's not coming up with new words to describe God. He's looking back to the history of the people of Israel. When the Lord revealed himself, uh, Moses said, show me your glory. The Lord wanted to reveal himself to Moses. He described what he is like. And he used these words. He says, I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. I'm abounding in faithfulness. That's how God describes himself. And now what Jeremiah is going to do is he's going to pull these descriptors and he's going to apply them to his current situation. Like, look with me in verse 22. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. These are some of these words that that Moses was told by the Lord to describe the Lord's character. Steadfast love. Depending on your Bible translation, it may not say steadfast love. That's because the, the way translation works is it's not always like one word means this exact word over here. It's more like this word means this set of words over here. That's often the way that translation works, and that's what you have going on here. This Hebrew word here, it it means steadfast love. It means the loyal love of God, the never giving up, always and forever loyal to covenant love of God, His infinite compassion. And Jeremiah proclaims that this steadfast love of the Lord never Ceases, And that sounds great. Put it on a coffee mug. Put it on a t-shirt. But read it in context. Why don't we read it in what Jeremiah has just walked through and seen with his own eyes. Not even the destruction of Jerusalem signals the end of God's love for his people. Not even a 2020 pandemic signals the end of God's love for his people. Not even the loss of a husband. Or a wife, or a child, or a job, signals the end of God's love for His people. It never ceases. Why? Because this love is based on covenant. A covenant is not a contract. You see, a contract, you can break a contract. There's a buyout clause or something like that. 
That's not what a covenant is. A covenant is an agreement, but it cannot be broken. There are many covenants in the Bible. You see them in there. In fact, you can kind of read the storyline of the Bible through covenants. God had a covenant with Adam and Eve. God had a covenant with Noah. He had a covenant with Abraham. He had a covenant with the people of Israel. He had a covenant with David. You can follow the story that way. In all of these covenants, God expresses His love towards His people. His promises towards His people. He will be their God. They will be His people. He will defend them. And He will do good to them. And He promises He'll plant them in the promised land. And He will prosper them. And the whole world is going to be blessed by God's people and they're going to rule and reign over the whole world. These covenants in the Bible. And as we look at covenants, they're often ratified by some sort of act. Some sort of ritual, some sort of sacrifice, animal sacrifice. Even God participates sometimes in these rituals. And the way that the covenant kind of works is, I'm going to kill this animal, and what what I'm saying is, if I break this covenant, the same thing should happen to me. And even God participates in those. Over my dead body will I break this covenant. That's the imagery there. What this expresses to us is that the Lord is committed to His covenant people. And you know this. He's more committed... To us than we are to Him. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, nor do His mercies ever come to an end. There's another key word, mercy. Uh, This word could also be translated compassion, a warm compassion that, that wants to go the second mile. That's eager to forgive. It's the compassion of a mother toward her children. That's what this word means. Those of you who are mothers, you understand this more than than other people do. You understand God's compassion towards His children. When you are compassionate towards your children, moms, you are reflecting what God is like. You are reflecting His heart. And Jeremiah knows, he says, the love and mercy of God never come to an end. They never cease. Not even when the world seems to be shaking beneath Our feet, as a matter of fact, verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His love and His mercy are new every morning. Not new in the sense that they had never existed before. But rather, a fresh renewal of what has already been experienced day by day by day. Every single day, the proof of God's grace flows out of His compassion. It flows from His nature. God's mercy and His love never end because that describes His nature. That is who God is. God is love. God is mercy. And God never ends, and so His mercy and His love can never end. He never changes. And so then, Jeremiah proclaims, Great is your faithfulness. There's another key word there, faithful. That's where we get our word amen from, is the Hebrew word for faithfulness. Amen. We pray a prayer, you say amen. It doesn't mean the end. It means so be it. May it be true. I want everything you just prayed, I agree with, and I want it to be true. That's what amen means. That's the faithfulness 
of God. He said it and it shall come to pass. Sometimes God's faithfulness leads to the destruction of Jerusalem. Have you ever thought about that before? Because God is faithful, He had to destroy Jerusalem. He said He would destroy it if they broke covenant with Him. And He came through and God is faithful. He exiled the people. But that's not what Jeremiah is leaning into here. He's leaning into God's faithfulness in the sense that He is loving, kind, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. Jeremiah knows that God is going to keep His promises. He knows that. And so his faithfulness is great. Much. It is abounding. So in the midst of his his despair, when the earth is shaking beneath his feet, it is to this God that Jeremiah commits himself. So as we have looked at this together, my question is, what are we supposed to do with it? How then shall we live? When the ground is shaking beneath your feet in such a way that you don't think you're going to be able to stand up anymore, here's what you're supposed to do. Remember. Remember two things. First of all, remember who you are. That's the place Jeremiah gets to in verses 40 and 41, even into 42. Jeremiah says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed. We have rebelled. When times like these happen, Jeremiah says, examine yourself. And I have a hunch when we examine ourselves, we're going to find a whole lot that falls short. And so when we do, we should repent. We should turn to the Lord. We were walking one way, we should stop and we should turn, return to the Lord. In Matthew 24, Jesus tells us what to do when there's pestilence in the land. Did you know that? It's there. Pestilence is like the plague that we have, this COVID. What do you do when there's pestilence in the land? He said you buy all the toilet paper. That's not what he said. I'm sorry. Jesus said don't be alarmed. These are things that must take place when you hear of wars and rumors of wars and there's pestilence in the land. Do not be alarmed. These are birth pangs. There are things that must take place before the end comes. Don't be alarmed, but here's what you should do. You should pay attention. And he tells this parable. He says, when the master returns, the faithful and wise servant is the one who's caught doing his will. Look, 2020 for us is a call to repent. One time there was a tower that fell on some people and it killed them and people were wondering was it their sin that caused it and Jesus said 
unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 2020 is an opportunity to look reality in the face and to get some things right. Romans 3 tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we see all throughout the scripture that God can judge nations and the whole world for their sin. God can do it and he will do it. I cannot say with certainty that is God's judgment on the world, that this COVID is God's judgment. I can't say for certainty that it is. But I can't say for certainty that it's not. And Jesus urges us when things like this happen in our world, it's an opportunity to get right. Here we are, December 27th. Take a look in the mirror. Are you who you say you are? Are you who you want to be? Are you who other people, you want other people to see you as? Are you walking in darkness? Examine yourself and return to the Lord. And I'm afraid that so many of us have taken 2020 as an opportunity to cut ourselves off from the things of God. This is a chance for me to get away from those kind of things. I can get away with it. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I can get away with it. And Jesus explained to us, no, that's not what this is. 2020 is the shift in the wind that tells us a cold front is coming. So let's close out 2020 in humility and repentance before the Lord. Remember who you are. The second thing, the last thing that you should remember is who God is. And that's what Jeremiah does in our text. He remembers who God is. He says, this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. I remember who God is. I remember who God has always been. Moses said to the Lord back in Exodus, show me your glory. Tell me who you are. And God could have revealed himself in any way. He could have shown himself to be powerful because he is powerful. He could have shown himself to be wise because he is infinitely wise. God could have said, you know, I have a great plan for your life because he does have a great plan for your life. But that's not how God revealed himself to Moses. How did God reveal himself to Moses? Compassionate. Gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness, also willing to judge sinners. And so when we're standing on the ground and it begins to shake, we've got to remember who God is. The way he has revealed himself to us is committed. He is committed to us. He is eager to forgive, to go the extra mile, to bring us back into right relationship with Him. His mercies are new every morning. But here's the thing about new morning mercies. Sometimes you've got to wait till the morning to get them. See, this year has been a nightmare for a lot of us. For a variety of reasons. We've kind of like woken up in the middle of the night. You know, sometimes my kids wake up in the middle of the night. They had a bad dream or something. They wake up in the middle of the night. What do they do? They walk down the hall. They flip on the hall light. They stand in the doorway and they just stare at you, right? And I'm sleeping. 
And I just like in my sleep have this sense, someone is staring at me. I wake up and I look. And they're standing there in the doorway, backlit, so it's a silhouette. Like glassy-eyed, you ask them questions, they don't answer any of them. It's like a horror film, right? Uh, Kids are creepy in the middle of the night. They woke up in the middle of the night and it's not morning yet. They had a bad dream and now they're awake. What do they do? They tuck themselves back in, snuggle up real tight, think through the logic of it. Oh, it's just a bad dream. I'll, I'll just return to my slumber now. Is that what they do? No. They're off balance. They don't know what's going on. It's dark. It's confusing. And they're afraid. Now they know there's some sense. They know that morning is going to come. But what do they do? They go get dad. They, they know morning is going to come, but they're not sure they're going to make it through the night unless they go get dad. I don't know if your kids do this. Mine will climb into bed with us when they've had a bad dream. They know morning is coming and they know that they'll get there as long as they can rest on dad. Look, this year has been a nightmare. Maybe you have experienced completely unrelated to the pandemic. You have had a bad time, a bad year, and it feels like a nightmare. We've woken up in the middle of the night. We know there's got to be morning coming. It's got to be coming at some point. But that doesn't mean that we're not afraid of the dark. That doesn't mean that we're not frustrated about the dark or grieving about the dark. That doesn't make that go away. Lamentations 3 is a call to go get Dad, run to your father and pour out your heart to him. Tell him what you're worried about. Tell him what you're angry about and what you're frustrated about. Tell him what you're grieving. Lean into that relationship. Go get dad and rest on him. And then know this is dark before light. God has designed that into our solar system. We understand it. Dark before light. The sun is, is, is here and the earth is turned away from the sun for hours at a time. But we know at some point the earth is going to turn. And the sun is going to rise. And we're met with a new and glorious morn. New mercies that come every single day. And so this This morning, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online, you're watching later, I'm asking you, close out the year. Rest in the faithfulness of God. He always comes through. He always keeps His promises. He has bound Himself to us, to the covenant. He has bound Himself. He will not fail. Even when it feels like He's not doing anything. And even when it feels like He's actively working against us. We can know for certain He will always do what's best for us. His will is perfect. And so as we look at this text, we see God gives us permission to grieve and to wait and to wait in darkness, to lament in darkness, 
But I'm telling you this morning, we will not stay there forever. The tree is heavy. It's coming down whether, whether we like it or not. It's coming down. You can't speed up a river. You can't slow it down. So what are we going to do about it? Complain? No, we're going to trust God while we're in the middle of it. And that sounds nice, and let's put a bow on it and stick it under the tree, but that's, that's not reality because I know there's plenty of us in the room that just can't trust God now. We gotta take things into our own hands, or we gotta worry and panic because we just can't trust God. How do you trust God when you can't trust God? How do you do it? A friend of mine said to an older believer one time, he said, you have more faith than me. And she said, no. I've had more experience with a faithful God. Because God has been faithful in the past. We can know He will be faithful in our present. He was faithful to the people of Israel. He was faithful to deliver Jeremiah. He was faithful to the apostles. He's been faithful through the ages. Why in the world would we begin to believe that He will not be faithful to us? What makes us special? And that's how we want to close this out. We remember. We examine ourselves. We remember that on our own, we deserve to be God's enemies. Like He's a hunter pursuing us. We deserve it. And yet, God is kind and compassionate and gracious and faithful and slow to anger. And He has offered us a way to stand before Him, not as enemies. But as his kids, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. And that is what we are this morning. We are children of God. It's dark outside. It's dark. But the sun's going to rise. Because his faithfulness is great. Won't you pray with me? Lord, I sense a heavy burden on a lot of people. Related to the pandemic or no. I pray that you would lift it. By your faithfulness, your trustworthiness, I pray that you would help them to trust you. And let us take 2021 with a fresh vision, a fresh revelation. That's ancient. It's who you are. It's who you've been. And help us to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.